Well, today as we go into this message, The Great Escape, one thing I want to remind you guys of is I'm not a professional speaker. I am a person who was lost 18 years ago. God saved my soul. Changed my life, and he put a calling on my life not to do what I chose to do, but what he chose for me to do. So I'm going to do my best to relay to you what he's given me. Last week in the fifth part of our message, The Commandments of God, we looked at the eighth commandment, which is thou shalt not steal. As we looked at different areas of theft uh, that we can all fall prey to, we were able to conclude that each one is linked to the internal struggle of selfishness, which drives our desire to have what we don't. Through this realization of selfishness that we all struggle with, the Lord was able to show us that we were intended to be givers instead of takers. And if we'll embrace this identity, we'll find the true fulfillment that he has for us. This week, as we pick up on the ninth commandment, we'll be looking at potentially the most destructive sin in all the world. It is intertwined in our culture and unfortunately comes naturally to all of us. It's not only destructive to the one who is the victim of this sin, but it is also to the one who is choosing to do it. This awful force is described in the Bible as bearing false witness, but we call it lying. Let's look at what God has to, has to say in the Bible uh, in regards to this subject as we continue in the commandments of God, part six. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share the word. And I ask God, you know that I have prayed this morning and begging you, Father, to remove the human element from this message. God, I do not want to speak and I don't want anybody to hear from me. I want you to speak to us clearly. God, help our spirits and our hearts to be open to hear what you have for us. Help us to have ears to hear that, God, we might be changed to be more into the image of your Son, God. We love you and thank you for today. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, as we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments, one of the things we saw is the first four commandments, they were actually about how our interactions with God are, human interaction with God. The last four that we witnessed, the last six of the, of the commandments, are actually about our interaction with one another. And we're going to look at how this thing, how we relate with each other, also affects our interaction with God. The reality is that how we treat each other is reflected in how we treat God, and we've seen this clearly. Let's see how lying affects our relationship with our fellow man and our relationship with God. Exodus 20, verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness, the ninth commandment. God knows humanity very well, and it's for this reason that he warns us against this aspect of dishonesty. He warns us. You know why? Because he understands the destructive power that it possesses in the world. It appears in the Bible as deceit. It appears as lying, and it appears as bearing false witness. In fact, it was dishonesty that was instrumental in the fall of mankind, and we're going to take a look at that. Remember, it was the lie that was the, thing, the very thing that the devil used to lure Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to disobey God. Listen to the interaction between, at, between Satan and Eve in Genesis 3, verses 3 and 4. But of the fruit of the tree, this is Eve, she says, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto him, so we just she says, look, God said, you shall not eat of it. That's God's command. That's what God said. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. He takes truth, twists it, and we have a lie. It was from deceit and manipulation that Satan preyed upon humanity's pride, which brought death upon all men. Remember last week we talked about Eve's failing. We talked about her falling prey to the flesh, right? There are different areas of the flesh. There are three different weaknesses in our flesh. We see in 1 John 2.16, we talked about it last week. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It is of the flesh, right? It is of the flesh. 
And when we applied it to the, that same truth to then Eve in that situation in verse number 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Wisdom makes people prideful, the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her, also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Pride is the root, the root of every single sin that you can possibly imagine. Pride is the basis. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit, right? Before the fall. A haughty spirit means you think you're untouchable. You think you got everything under control. And right when you start thinking that, buckle up, buddy. You buckle up because your fall is coming. Your fall is coming. And that pride is the very link to the fall of man. And after the fall, what we find is we gravitate naturally to dishonesty. Yeah. We all do. It's just part of who we are. I can prove it to you. You know, who has, who's, who has, has little kids or has had little kids at some point in your life? Okay. Imagine the scenario. You bake some cupcakes, right? You put some nice gooey purple frosting on top with some sprinkles, and you set them right on the edge of the table, and your three-year-old is standing there watching. Honey, these are for after dinner, so don't touch them. Don't touch them, and you leave the room. You go upstairs. You take a bath. You're gone for like an hour. You come downstairs. There's a little smear of frosting on the table. You follow the crumbs into the living room, and there's the three-year-old on the floor, cupcake wrapper in hand, frosting all over their face, crumbs everywhere, mess everywhere. And you go, uh, sweetheart, did you eat one of, the, one of the cupcakes? What are they going to say? No. no. <laughs> Lie. Their nature is to defend themselves, to protect themselves, self-preservation, so they lie. It comes naturally. It comes absolutely naturally to them. Today we'll consider several of the different forms of dishonesty that, break, dishonesty that break this commitment. We bear false witness when we choose to partake in tail-bearing, the Bible calls it, slander, flattery, telling fabricated stories, right? We just make up a story that's not true, but then also embellishing stories that are true to make them a little bit more exciting. Or when we choose to deny a truth or simply to remain silent. Every one of these shares a very specific detail, not just dishonesty. They're all linked to something that's extremely powerful. They're all tied to the smallest member of the body, the most destructive member of the body, the tongue. James chapter 3, verses 5 through 18 says this, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. He says, look, how in the world? You're going to have, you're going to you're encourage your brother in one breath and you're going to discourage your brother in another breath? That should not be. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth out of the same place sweet water and bitter water? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive trees, either of vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't celebrate it. And lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, the Bible says. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Dishonesty leads to destruction. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. The fruits of righteousness. Remember we talked about the whole thing. We talked about the aspect of the gardening analogy that God uses so many times. Notice what he uses. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Bearing false witness or lying, unfortunately, is a part and parcel of our daily lives. It's something that we're comfortable with. We get ourselves caught in a situation and easily we will lie. Whether it's a lie to avoid an uncomfortable situation or an omission in order not to admit our failure, there's still lies, right? We may try to downplay them. Well, it's just a little, a little white lie. It's just a little one. It's not a, it's not a big deal. And see, the minimizing of sin, this is a dangerous thing. Because when we minimize sin, it seems a little less wrong. And if something seems a little less wrong, it becomes more easy for us to do it, right? And that opens up a door, right? You want to pave the road to destruction? Start allowing sin to be acceptable in your life. Because it doesn't start as one giant slide off a mountain. The Bible, it's, it, we use the analogy, it's a slippery slope. Every time we take a step towards destruction, it's not a run that way. It's a little step. I'm going to accept this thing that's wrong. And I'm going to accept this thing that's wrong. And eventually I can take a bigger step because it doesn't, it, you know, what's happened to me? I haven't seen anything, no results. I can just keep doing wrong. Next thing we know, we look at where our relationship used to be with God and we find ourselves way over here. Because sin has become palatable to us. It should be disgusting to us. Holding ourselves accountable to God and not accountable to, or holding ourselves accountable to man and not accountable to God is the way we pave that road to destruction. Proverbs 3 says, or Proverbs 15.3 says this, the, eye of the, Lord is, or the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Not only does he see and he know what we've done, but guess what? He also holds us accountable for what we do. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12 says this, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Okay, If you want to know who is this written to, this is in the book of Romans. He says, Why judgest thou thy brother? That means this is being written to the church. This is being written to Christians. Okay, Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's like, As Christians, born again children of God, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. He's saying, guess what? The things that you do that you think nobody sees, God sees them. So as born-again believers, guess what? We will give an account of the life that we live after salvation and the choices that we make. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, the choices we make with this body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. He says, look, we're begging you, we're beseeching you to do right. We're trying to help you in this walk with God because we know one day you're going to stand before him. And I don't want you to stand there with all of this regret. What if you could stand there and be proud of the life that you lived? We're given a choice. We only have a limited amount of time. Michael gave the analogy. I was given to it years ago. Somebody gave me this analogy. He said, if we took a ribbon and we tied it here in the church and we ran it all the way to the other side of Charlotte, and you imagine that's eternity, and that's obviously much longer than that. 
When you took a ballpoint pen and you took that thing and you just drew one thin line, and that represented your life. Because eternity goes on forever, man. You just get a split, a little blip in this thing. What will we do with it? What will we do with it? You get this little time on your tombstone. The only thing you have control over is the dash. The one where it starts and the one where it ends, those are not up to us. That dash is yours. And many of us waste our dash. We talked about it last week, wasting time. This judgment is not for our sins. That was finished on the cross. If you're a born-again child of God, your sins are already, that's taken care of. God handled that. This judgment will be based upon how we lived the life he gave us. Did we sow into our flesh or do we sow into our spirit? We sow into our flesh. We know it reaps corruption. We sow into our spirit. It reaps life everlasting. One area that many of us sow into the flesh is in the area of dishonesty. Unfortunately, because of our natural desire for self-preservation, we tend to use the tool of dishonesty to avoid taking personal responsibility for our actions in the short term. We don't want to face what we've done, so we find a way to push it off. We don't want to face consequences, so we find a way to avoid those consequences. The Bible says that kind of thinking is evil. James 3.15 says this, the wis This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Right? But as we allow the world to influence us, right? The Bible warns us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Because what happens when the world starts to influence us, our actions appear worldly. Worldly. Lying is a part of our culture. It is accepted in our culture. You see, the more comfortable we are with sin, the more apt we are to do it. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the aspect of controlling our minds. Understand that the battlefield for our lives, battlefield for sin in our lives, it all starts here, right? The mind, nothing, there's nothing that this body does that the mind doesn't already visualize. Your brain will think about it and you will play it out in, in your thoughts before you'll ever take action. So we've got to learn how to control it. Lying is no different. I remember as a teenager, right? I was not a good teenager. I'm just going to tell you all straight up front. If you talk to my mom, she will tell you, my goodness. She was amazed I survived. But what I would do is I would go out and I would get into some serious trouble. I mean, be in places I should not be with people I should not be with, driving, doing things, consuming things, all those things that I should not be doing. And when I would be on my way home, you know what I'd be doing? Creating a story. How am I going to take all the circumstances who saw me there and who saw me there and where was I there and why is that much gas gone and where'd that dent come from and why are my clothes torn up and why am I dirty and why am I missing a tooth? Well, I got to come up with a story, right? And I would run through these scenarios in my mind, right? I'd play this thing out, man. So by the time I got home, I'd worked out all the details. I'd walk through it about 10 times and I'm like, okay, okay, this seems to cover everything. I think we're straight, all right? And my mom, God bless her, she was gullible. She never knew anything. I would just sell it to her, you know? But the thing was amazing is, guess what? Eventually, it always comes out. But how many of us are guilty of planning a lie? Right? Yeah. In some scenario, we sit and we think about it, and we calculate it. So the lie is not the, when we say it. It's what we think about. We think about. One of the ones we're going to look at tonight is today is tailbearing. Tailbearing is when we decide to spread a story that we've heard without substantiating whether or not it's true or not. Okay? There are probably some of us. That, that term tailbearing, we may have never heard it, but it's kind of gossip, right? People sharing stories that aren't true. And there may be some of us that today, maybe our character was attacked. We didn't do anything wrong, but some story was created and fabricated about us, and we live with the results of that. Proverbs 18.8 says this, The words of a tailbearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. That hurts you down deep. Repeating a story that we have not confirmed to be true, which discredits and dishonors others, is wrong. 
If we believe that a brother is guilty of sin, right? We shouldn't be talking about anybody behind their back. The Bible tells us in Matthew 18 that if I have an issue with somebody, if I believe someone's wrong, my responsibility as a Christian is go to them and talk to them directly. Not to spread a word, not to talk to somebody about it, not to share stories. I'm supposed to go to them directly. And if it's done properly, what happens is that very issue can be handled privately and handled properly, and it doesn't hurt the body of Christ. But when it's not handled properly, and gossip ensues, and tailbearing ensues, and stories spread, not only does the person get hurt, but guess what? The body also gets hurt. God instructs us how to handle things if we would just simply listen to his instructions. The conversation when we talk to that person, it's not about trying to reprimand them or try to ridicule them. It's about trying to restore them. Our objective in the whole thing is to try to restore them in a relationship with God, with the church, and also with us, okay? That is the objective. How many stories have we heard of churches that have been absolutely destroyed because Christian people reveled in tailbearing and somehow delighted in the havoc that ensues? It's amazing, right? Churches are not destroyed from outside attacks. Relationships are not destroyed from outside attacks. They're destroyed from the inside. It's that lying, cheating, dishonesty that destroy them. Remember in James it said back in verses 5 and 6, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the, it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. Let's see that. Set on fire the course of nature. That natural tendency inside of us to do wrong. That, core, that, that tongue can, man, it can spur us into all kinds of evil. And is set on fire of hell, destruction. So the tongue starts the fire. But guess what? If there's no wood, if there's no fuel, there's no gossip, guess what? It won't go anywhere. Proverbs 26, 20 says this. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. So guess what? We can stop it if we choose not to open our mouths. As I said, churches are not destroyed through that, or through, through outside attacks, but the inside, sowing discord. To try and excuse the action by saying that there was no intention to hurt anyone is no justification. This is a form of lying, and it is wrong, and it breaks the ninth commandment. What about slander? Slander, okay? Slander is a lie that is spread for the intent to hurt someone. It is designed to harm them. When we think of slander, uh, we can see its intentions. If we look in 1 Peter 2.1, listen to the heart that Peter's warning about. Wherefore, he says, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Galatians 5.20 defines it this way when it talks about this same mindset. It talks about hatreds and variances and emulations and wrath and strife and seditions. This type of lying is very akin to tailbearing, except for it is always specifically designed for a destructive intent. That's always what's trying to be done. Proverbs 10, 18 says this, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. A fool. Someone who has no respect in God's eyes. Pastor Alan Redpath said this. Listen to this phrase. He says, Compared to one who commits slander, a gangster is a gentleman, and a murderer is kind, but he, because he ends life in a moment with a stroke, and with little pain. But the man guilty of slander ruins a reputation which may never be regained and causes lifelong suffering. Psalm 101.5 says this, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. This is God speaking. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. That word suffer means I will not endure. 
There is no place for slander in the life of a believer because it is fueled by hatred. It is fueled by the flesh and motivated by destruction. It cannot be said of us that we are a slanderer. How about flattery? Flattery. That's when we go, hmm. Flattery, defined this way, is excessive and insincere praise given especially to further one's own interests. Listen to this, Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh, look at that last word, ruin. Flattering mouth worketh ruin. It has got a, an agenda that is destructive behind it. Again, we see the indicator that this action is driven by the flesh. The Bible warns us, in fact, that that flattery, right, it is the gateway to breaking the seventh commandment, which was adultery. Proverbs 6, verses 23 through 24 says this, For the commandment is a lamp. He's saying, look, the law is given to you as a lamp to light your path. And the law is a light. God's giving you this commandment. saying, stay away from these things. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. He says, look, learn from these things. Because, verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Proverbs 7, 5 says, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Proverbs 7, 21, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. Flattering. Now, prophetically speaking, I can say this. When you talk about, when you see the word, the word, the strange woman, you ever see that listed in the Bible? That is not just talking about a strange woman. It's actually talking about false religion. When you see that, Proverbs 7, if you go read Proverbs 7 and you plug in the fact that it's talking about false religion, you will see what's going on in the world today and the seduction of false religion. But it's also speaking practically to Solomon's sons. He's writing a letter saying, hey, you know be careful. Watch out for those flattering lips because you know what? They're trying to draw you to destruction. Flattery always has an ulterior motive and its intentions are always destructive. It's just the truth. Stay away from flattery. Storytelling. Storytelling, right? We think about that. This is when we create a story that isn't true or add fantastic details to a true story to make it a little bit more spectacular, right? <laughs> now, we've all done this, right? We've all done this before. Examples, you're late for work because you ever slept. You show up. Man, you know what? My car, I, I don't know what's wrong with it, man. Just, I, I mean, I, I just turned the key. It wouldn't do anything, man. But then after about like six or eight times, about 15, 20 minutes, finally, I got it cranked up and I was able to get here on time. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit late, right? Or we, we have a traffic, we get sick, whatever, alien abduction, whatever thing we want to throw in there, right? For whatever it is, we come up with a story. We fabricate it to protect ourselves, right? Then we think about you're driving along and you see a car accident. And somehow from the time you see the car accident, which is a two-car crash, by the time you get to work or you see your friends, it's a six-car pileup, right? You won't believe it, man. There's this guy's body flying through the air. and I mean, I just barely <laughs> swerved. It was unbelievable, right? <laughs> Silly, but you know what? We do this. You talk to some people, and they'll tell you a story sometimes, you're like, mm-hmm, right. You just happened to, you, and you, were, you drove as it happened? Amazing, amazing. Both of these are driven by pride. One, to keep us from admitting the truth of why we relate, thus protecting our ego. The other, to make us appear more special because of our unique and exciting experience, right? Look at what God says about it in Colossians 3.9. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. He's warning Christians. Look, don't be a liar. Just be truthful. Ephesians 4.25, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Again, this is talking to Christians. Lying is something that we all struggle with. He's saying just tell the truth. 
How about denial or silence? When we deny truth, we are in fact lying, okay? When a lie is being propagated and we remain silent, we then become a part of the lie and we deny the truth because we're unwilling to speak. Though we may believe that our sin is hidden through our silence, the truth will eventually be revealed, Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. Notice this next phrase. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He says, look, you do these things, you will eventually show up. And I'm not to be mocked. You're not going to get away from me. You're not going to skip out and me not catch you because I know what you've done. And ultimately, we're accountable to God. When we are denying the truth, we are in fact denying the Lord. Listen to how he describes himself in John 14, 6. Jesus saith, I am the way, the, the truth. He says, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So Jesus defined himself as the truth, right? And we're struggling with lies, right? Have any of us ever heard somebody make a false claim against God, and we choose to remain silent? You know what they're saying is wrong but you choose not to get involved. That way, guess what? You just got involved in supporting that lie to, believe is, to be believed is true. Not standing up, we are a participant. We become a liar. If we're a liar, then we aren't identifying ourselves with the Lord because guess what? He is the truth. So if I'm not identifying myself with the, the truth, I'm identifying myself with the liar. Well, who is that? Let's go to John 8, 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Is this who we want to associate ourselves with? Is that who we want to lead us in our lives? The enemy of God? My word. Look at all that God's done for us. James, James 4, 4 said this, Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So when I lie and I associate myself with the devil, guess what? I'm becoming the enemy of God. The one who loves me, the one who died for me, the one that gives me everything I've got. And yet I turn and I stand in opposition to him because I choose to feed my selfish lusts. How do I fight a lie? With the truth, right? The truth. Our problem is we many times fight the truth with a lie through denial. Consider Peter, Luke twenty two thirty four. 34, it says this. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. He says, I tell thee, Peter, the, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt, thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Peter's like, what? And Peter goes, are you kidding me? No way, God, I'll never deny you. No way, not in a million years. I'll die for you, Lord. That's what I'll do. I'll die for you. Then Jesus is taken captive, and they take him to the palace. And John and Peter, they stay afar off, but they eventually get there. And Peter slips in the door with John. Luke twenty two fifty four 54, it says this, Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man... I am not. And about the space of one hour after, a, a hour after another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know now not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. Look at verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. 
He's completely separated from him. He's standing in the midst of the Sanhedrin, being lied about and cheated upon. Right there, he's standing there, and he's listening to Peter in the midst of that. Imagine he's standing there dealing with all that adversity, but his heart is outside with Peter. He said, Peter, you said you loved me. You said you were dedicated to me, Peter. You said you would not deny me. And there comes the third time. And he turns and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was brokenhearted. Because you know what? He was being accountable to men in those crowds, accountable to those people that were questioning him. But when he realized that his lie was actually against God, and he saw the pain in God's eyes, Consider when you and I choose to lie, man. He's saying, thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. Be honest. Be truthful. For I am the truth. He says, I am the truth. And when you lie, you deny me. You deny me. I am the truth. And you choose to lie. Why? 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 For your selfishness. Because you're looking out for you. That's us. We struggle with this so much. When we deny the truth, we are a liar. When we deny the truth from, through lying, we are denying our Savior. Our lies are not against men. They are against God, in fact, because we are standing against Him. He not only knows every little white lie, He holds us accountable every time we do it. And what does it do to our relationship with God? It separates us. He says, I ask you to be truthful. And when you have a choice, you choose to lie. Will we be like Peter, admit our dishonesty and weep bitterly for our failure to the Lord? Or will we keep on lying and in doing so denying the truth in order to feed, in order to feed our selfish, fleshly lusts? Proverbs 19.5 says this, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Our lies will eventually find us out but until the time when they do, guess what? We're prisoners to them. We create a false narrative and a web of lies that we live within. And those things control our life. And we live as slaves to them. We live in bondage to our lies. And God's saying, you know what? There is truth. John 8, 32 says this, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Make you free. This is true of honesty. When we're freed of our lives because we finally come up front and we honestly tell, us, tell people who we are. And the thing is, we're so afraid that people are going to judge us based upon the truth, thinking something worse of us, and we create a lie to try to protect ourselves. But the thing is, people admire us when we're honest. You ever meet somebody who's just straightforward and truthful, and you go, dang, you know what? I just trust that guy. He's real up front. He's not pulling any punches. He's just cool, you know? I remember working with a guy named Greg Singerling. Greg was one of these guys. He did not come out of a ministerial background just like me. He came out of the world. He was a fighter pilot. He came out of the military. And you know, when I met him, one of the things I met him, we're working in ministry together, and he would just tell me stuff where I'm like, wow, I didn't need to know that. Whoa, okay, great. But I mean, he was so brutally honest. I just trust, I was like, man, I trust this guy. I trust him. He told me things about himself, these weaknesses, his failures, his faults things that he'd done that were wrong. And I'm like, yeah, because I came out of a world where the preachers were all like, man, you're perfect. 
you portray yourself as, you know, da, 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 and got your suit just right, everything's right, and you just live this perfect life. That's a load of garbage, man, straight out of hell, because you're living as a, as a hypocrite, because we're all carrying something. We've all got things in our past. We've all done things wrong, right? And if we'll be honest about those things, it allows people to trust us. And that's one of the things, Greg was brutally honest and allowed me to trust him and say, you know what, this guy's not happy. He has no ulterior motive. He's just being straight. And that's the thing is when we get rid of the lies, man, we get freedom. Then we think about this, the truth, right? This is true of the word of God, right? The truth. There's truth in telling, telling the truth and getting out of our lives, but then there's also the truth that is the word. The word of God is the truth, right? And there's freedom in knowing the truth. As you fall into this book and you fall in love with God's word and he starts to speak to you, you start to become free. Because you're not caught up on the laws and the rules of religion. You start realizing who Jesus really is and what he thinks of you and what he wants for you. And it changes a whole new world opens up. So truth through the word offers freedom. And this is true in knowing the truth, the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. And in knowing Christ as your Savior, there is a freedom a freedom from our sin, the freedom from fear, the freedom of doubt and a fear of the future, knowing that God has a plan in our life. And as his child, he will walk with us, that he will never forsake us, that he'll never leave us. And no matter what darkness we may find ourselves in, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. No evil. No evil. That means none. The devil wants to destroy you, man. He wants you to live in a, in a web of lies. He wants you to live listening to garbage. And God says, look, I am truth. It's not a coincidence that the devil's identified as a liar and Jesus is identified as the truth. And we struggle between the two and we can't figure out, where should I, should I tell the truth or should I tell a lie? What would Jesus do? The old bracelets, man. Jesus would tell the truth. And if we'll live in truth, guess what? We have no regrets. You don't have to walk around being fearful of who's going to find out something. What if we just live for the Lord and we're just truthful about it and we just live a life that's honest before God and before men? Amen. How amazing would that be? And to be free from all that garbage. Because what happens when we lie? The devil then beats us up and goes, well, you know what? You're a filthy liar. And you better not let him know who you are. Don't let him see the truth. Create another lie. And create another lie. Create another lie. And the next thing you know, you're so far down you feel like you just can't get out. But all it takes is the truth. And freedom will come. If you're ready to escape your bondage, whatever it may be, it's time to stop the lies. Embrace the truth. And keep the commandments of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. And God, thank you for the beautiful picture of truth that you are. God, thank you for the consistent consistency we see in you, God, not, not lies, not deceit, not dishonesty, but truth, honesty, truth, reality. God, help us to cling to the truth. Lord, so many of us live with this propensity to lie. And God, every time we do a little one and we think we slip away and we think nobody catches us, we do it more. Help us to be accountable, not to men, not even to ourselves. Help us be accountable to you. Because when we lie, we turn our back on God and we identify with the enemy. I do not want to be in his camp. I don't want to be identified with the enemy. I want to be identified with my Savior. Help us, God, to be truthful, 
Help us, God, to seek truth in the Word. Help us to seek truth in loving and knowing you better, God. Help us to seek truth in the fact that when we're given an opportunity to tell, to tell a lie, to tell the truth, help us to be honest, God. Help us to be honest. Because there is such freedom that you afford to each one of us. God, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I've struggled in this area in my life. I have things in my life that, you know what, I need to make right. I have some areas in my life that I'm struggling where I've not been truthful and some things I need to bring to the surface. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. If you say today, you know what, God, you spoke to my heart about this issue of honesty, and I know I need to make some changes. As a testament to God and your boldness before him, who would raise their hand and say, you know what, I have struggled with dishonesty in my life, and God has convicted me today. Amen. I see that hand. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. God, thank you for what you've done in our lives. Now, with their heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I have never received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't even know what that means. Guys, 18 years ago, I'd never been in church my entire life. And someone asked me a question. They said, if you, die, if you died today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Do you have a relationship with God? And I said, I, I hope so. But I did not know. The Bible says that ye may know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his son. Jesus went on the cross and paid the price for the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Freedom from death. Freedom from sin. God offers that to the entire world, but it's something that we have to choose to receive. If you're here today and you've never received that gift, you've never consciously said, you know what? I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And by faith, I'm going to pray. Not a ceremony. Nothing tricky. It's, just, it's not about a preacher. It's not about anything else. This is between you and God. And he'll hear you in your heart. You don't have to do anything. You can stay right in your seat. And if your heart says, you know what? I need him. Guess what? He wants you just exactly as you are. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how broken you are. He loves you just where you are. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Like I said, it's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. It's not a ceremony. It's a matter of your heart. If your heart wants to receive Christ, you will receive him. I'm going to pray out loud. And what I want you to do is repeat this prayer in your heart and in your mind. Remember, you're talking to God. You're not talking to anybody else. He's listening. If you want to receive that greatest gift ever, you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me in your heart and mind. You're speaking to God, and he's listening to you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done plenty of things wrong. And because of my sin, I've been separated from you. And you came to this world. You paid the price for the sins of the world. You paid the price for me. You offer me freedom. And God, today, I accept your gift of eternal life. I believe in you. I put my faith in you. I trust you for my future, for my eternity. I ask you to come into my heart to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen.